Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are the Chainsmokers to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album So Far So Good. The Chainsmokers are an American DJ and production duo consisting of Alex Paul and Drew Taggart. Having both spent their college years in and around the music world, it was in 2012 when Drew moved to New York that he was introduced to Alex and the Chainsmokers as we know them today were formed. Initially only producing remixes together, by the end of the year they began releasing music of their own. In 2014, the track Selfie was their breakthrough. Produced primarily for fun, it became a viral sensation and went on to become a multi-platinum selling hit across the globe. Their debut EP, Bouquet, arrived the following year through Disruptor and Columbia Records. It reached number two on the US dance charts, with the single Roses becoming the duo's second multi-platinum selling hit. One year later, their second EP, Collage, included the Grammy-winning Don't Let Me Down and Closer, featuring Halsey, which topped charts in over 15 countries and went on to reach number four in Billboard's Decade End charts. Their debut album, Memories Do Not Open, arrived in 2017 and cemented their chart dominance as they refined their blend of EDM, indie and pop with more introspective elements, something that they continue to do across their subsequent albums, 2018's Sick Boy and 2019's World War Joy. More recently, the duo turned their disappointment of COVID-related touring cancellations into productive studio time, resulting in the new album So Far So Good, released in May 2022, and are now ready to bring their charismatic live show to the world once more. Today, I'm joined by Drew and Alex at Maloko's The Yard studio in Islington, London, ahead of their two rescheduled headline shows at the Brixton Academy. And what better way to start the conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is High. It is the chain smokers with high, and I'm very pleased to say that sat in front of me right now here at the Yard Studios in Islington are Alex and Drew, who are the chain smokers. Hello. What's Hello. up? You have a lovely radio voice. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. You very switched kind. it on. Podcast. <laughs> You've been voice. saving it from us. Yeah. yeah. Really nice. <laughs> it's great to have you here. And high seemed like the appropriate place to start because that was the first single from the new album. It also has. That phrase, so far, so good, mm-hmm. right so at the start of it, so setting good. it all up nicely. Yeah, see and what we did there? Yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, That's very clever. But fans. I mean, this is exciting because in a way, the fourth album from the Chainsmokers is a different kind of beast. It's You're changing things up in that it's much more of a an album in comparison to the previous three albums, even though you've put out three albums already, the way you're approaching this, and also maybe with the pandemic and everything, you've had a bit of a hiatus, you've had time to focus and concentrate. Yeah, it's a very fair thing to say. I think that, you know, 
we both recognized how badly we needed to kind of change up our approach to the creative process of using that. We were exhausted at the end of 2019, physically, mentally. I think we recognized that like everything was catching up to us. And it was exciting to, you know, spend these last two years now working on this project. And we couldn't be more, you know, thrilled about where it's ended up, but it was definitely a lot of work and well worth it all. But yeah, lots of different geographies, making music, lots of different times of day, lots of edits on edits on edits on edits, which he'll gladly get into. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it was fun. So, and now I, I actually asked our fans because like we put out the high song and literally the first lyrics are so far so good. And we have like a great discord that we uh, always pop into. And I was just like, how obvious was it that this was going to be the album name? And they were all like super obvious. And we're like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, cool. It makes complete sense. I mean, the video is amazing for High. Oh, thank no. you. I mean, it's kind of a nod in a way to the Twilight Zone and that episode with yeah, William Shatner. Yeah, he it. gets it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's fascinating. And, and clearly you needed that break, as Alex was saying, so did you t- spend time apart? Did you get to get away from each other, Drew? No. Nope. <laughs> I don't think that, was the, that wasn't the problem. You know, I, it was actually funny because, I mean, we pretty much, you think when someone's like, we're going to take a break, it means you're going to literally take a break and go away from each other or just away on vacation or whatever. We, you know, I think within two weeks of our tour ending, we went to Hawaii, which is where the whole process for this album ended up beginning. But I think what was different was, when we decided to go on this trip, you know, we spoke to our engineer, Ian, Weathan, Emily, all people who came with us. And we were just like, let's all go to Hawaii together. Maybe we make music, but also if we don't, we just surf and chill and laugh and hang out all day and night, then that's totally fine too. And naturally, you know, we did a lot of that too, but, you know, it wasn't long, probably three or four days into the trip when we started working on music again. And it was, uh, you know, really nice to do that because I, there were no expectations on ourselves. It was like the first time ever, I feel like, in years where... You know, you didn't have to feel guilty if you started something that sounded totally left field or and end up going nowhere, you know, and I think taking away any pressure on ourselves was such a refreshing thing and ultimately led us down this amazing path of what, you know, ultimately became this fourth album. Yeah, I mean, that is amazing. Three or four days into your break, you're back working yeah, on when music. You, when you put it in perspective like that, we really didn't take much of a break. I mean, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> like our, our favorite thing to do is make music. Yeah. But it also sucks to make music when you feel like you have to. And so we also have three or four days at that time was a long time for us to do nothing. Yeah, and dog years you know? for us. That's Dog like, years, yeah. It's like two decades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So we're going to look at three songs on the new album in yeah. depth. And the first one we're going to look at is If You're Serious. If You're Serious. So before we start digging into it, maybe we could hear a blast of the master so we get an idea of what it's all about. Okay, the beginning of If You're Serious. Here we go.
So that is If You're Serious, as it ended up on the album So Far So Good. Mm -hmm. Where did it start with this song? Well, I'm really excited to break down this one because Alex and I have been in Chainsmokers for 10 years and we still don't have like the same starting place for every song. You'd think we would have had something like, oh, then we, once we got a line, then we go, or once we have chords, we go, or but like it's always different every time. And I can't remember what exactly was the inspiration for this approach, but it was um, I don't think, Touch well, Sensitive Pizza well, Guy is well, what we were listening to. But it, I think that was uh. later the inspiration, but it's not how the song No, started. no, it's definitely not that, how the song started. We love the song by Touch Sensitive called Pizza Guy, which Alex plays like all... Too much. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but you, you always like know like the perfect time to put it on. Yeah. You know, you're like, we need a pizza guy right now. <laughs> and, and the song's awesome. And, mm. it, and But in the beginning... I, I was. I remember looking at these like really nice Gibson that I was really lucky that Gibson like they gave us this like Les Paul and I was like, damn, I just don't touch that thing enough, you know. And um, I'm not a terrific guitar player, and I was like, I want to make like a wall of sound guitar. So what I did is um, I ended up recording this. Very simple guitar line. I like recording guitars really sloppily. And I'm, again, like I'm saying, I'm not a great player, so I can't, you know, I play things very simply one note at a time. And I also, that was all that song was. That was just... And then it was like, okay, what would go after that? And then, you know, I, I do two takes, and then I pan them hard left and right, and then I played... So I just played that, and then I put them together, and you get... And then you just, like, harmonize over... This is just simple, I think. It happens though. And then I put that, I think, the high thing that I started with. Oh, no. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun. And then I did those high things that I started with. And that just gives you this like wall of guitar sound that you just can't, you can't play that, you know? There just is. Yeah, because you need three or four guitarists in the It sounds like the there's like room. three or four guys that are just kind of doing their own thing, you know? And then I just like wanted some like really just rocking kind of, we grew up on like 2008 Electro. Like what are some of those artists that we would listen to? Like Mastercraft. And yeah, Mastercraft and. Boys Noise and. Yeah, Boys Noise. But then all, well, some of the ones that were more like indie leaning. Alex like Gopher, the, Acton Cressy or Vanshee or. Yeah, like all the Ed Banger crew and yeah. like all that stuff. And they always had this like French disco type vibe. So we wanted to put drums over so I think we made like a really basic drum loop. I think most of those are even just loops. Like I just, I, trust me, I never get that lazy with drums, but like, you know, over the guitar, it just. Oh yeah, and then all over those guitars, you know, you add like little key. Just basic little like synth things to beef the whole thing up, and yeah. you get this gorgeous. And were they added after you'd found a beat? 
Uh, no, I think I just did that to beef up the guitar. Right. I can hear I added some bass in there somewhere. So I'm just like basic FM8 shit. How long has this all taken? I mean, it, obviously you, you've revealed that in seconds, but I mean, was this just one? That took probably like 45 minutes to do everything. Because right. you just start and you don't even know what you're making. And then like, I always like to throw loop drums on first. And what I do a lot of times is like, I'm the least organized producer, I think, in the game. But so anyway, when it comes down to drums, is like, I'm not one of those kids that has like folders of drums, which I should do. Anyone out there, I'll pay you to do it for me. <laughs> you want to organize my drums? I'll gladly pay for it. But I like just taking loops that I think are cool and then I'll splice them to a MIDI track and just take pieces of them or I'll just take a drum loop and then cut out my favorite parts and put another droop on top. And you end up making these really weird patterns that you wouldn't think up. I'm always trying to trick my brain, you know. I'm always trying to do things that, you know, feed MIDI from my computer to a synth that actually can't handle that much MIDI and then it just has to fucking figure it out and you get this weird thing back from it. Anyway, I digress. Can you remember where you were when you were playing around with this Gibson Les Paul then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was in my studio with Jordan, our engineer, and it was like, let's just do guitar today. And we hadn't done guitar in a while, and we were just sitting there. It was the daytime, and I hate working at daytime, so I was just trying to waste time until it got dark out. Right. We ended up and making this, this thing. L.A.? Yeah. 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 So the coolest thing about this guitar loop, in my opinion, is LFO tool. So LFO tool is a volume envelope tool, so you can design whatever volume envelope you want to go over an entire group of sounds, which I love doing, which I love making these massive walls of sounds. And then you kind of unify all of them under one volume envelope that you can automate the parameter of it. So the first one that I hit is just a basic, you know, curve with a little bit of attack on it, no decay. And you just get this. And when you do that to the guitars, it's like, is that a synth? Yeah. You know, like, what is that? And then, you know, I open up the release here, and then you get... You get it all open like that. It sounds like, I don't know, some, I don't know, Breakbot song or 1975 even type vibe. Yeah. And then all I do for the verse is put the volume shaper back on. Gives room for the vocal. And then I just open up on the depth, and it's back to the full guitar. Then I think I add some Juno here in the second verse. But yeah, we have a beautiful Juno at home that just makes everything. It saves so much time. I'll be like fucking. Th I'll be adding all these different synths together, and you're like, just use a fucking Juno. So it sounds so much warmer and and nicer than everything, and just gives you that nice '80s feel when you need it, and. So yeah, that's there. That's like pretty much the first two thirds of the song. And then we wanted it to just go somewhere just wacky. Yeah. What does this look like at a festival? And this is cool and rocking and fun. 
But we were like, what if we just take that, you know, cool LFO th- tool thing that's like vibrating at a, at eight note interval and let's just make it on 16 notes and put just the kick and add a couple synth sounds behind it. And then you get... I don't know when I recorded those. I totally forgot that those were in there, but it's I mean, cool. Is that back on guitar? Is it? Yeah, that's yeah. some recorded guitar I recorded, but I, I didn't even know those in there. They're somewhere tucked in there. Because the way the song evolves, it starts to rise, and then it has a kind of big breakdown and kind of goes off on another journey. So you got this. This is the second hook, I guess. Then it goes into. Which is like, at a festival, I would be like, what the fuck? That's going to be a moment, isn't it? Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you alluded to the fact that you're talking to Alex about this song as it's been evolving, but at what point did, you know, after that first kind of 45-minute session with you and the guitars through, you know, then, you know, do you get on the phone to Alex and say, oh, no, I'm no, stuck. I was there. Or you're uh, there. Alex, right, yeah, okay, right. But that does happen sometimes yeah. you know, uh, with certain songs, or he'll just come in and be like, but yes, plenty of times. But sometimes I'll send you something, and sometimes I'll, like, uh. strategically play it for you. or yeah. I mean, that's what's kind of funny about, I'm sure every music group can relate. I've heard Coldplay talk about this a lot, which is like reading the room, you know what I mean? And being like, I really want to play this now, but I can tell that like he's pissed off. But I mean, we were together for this one, but I definitely remember it being daytime and also feeling like we had this, uh, you know, big part of our lives now is just like being interrupted constantly. <laughs> Basically. Right. Because you're in demand and popular. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Oh. It's good news and no one caring. But, you know, like, I mean, we tried to make music the other day, and I think you had, like, six calls in the span of, that like... driving me crazy. Ten minutes, and yeah. so, like... I think I broke up with my girlfriend. She called me at the wrong time, and I was like, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to try my beats. You think he's kidding. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> but I think uh, for this, it's funny when you feel like you have that, like, momentum going into a session. You're just like, let's forget whatever we have scheduled or what's going on. Let's just like try to finish this. And sometimes your job is as simple as like being like, I'm going to order food in advance of, you know, before we get hungry. Yeah. Because when you have those opportunities, it's like you're just, let's hold on to it. Because roses happen in a very similar way where, you know, one evening it pretty much came together. Yeah. Don't let me down for the most part as yeah. well. This all seems so quick, this process for this song. No, when you, you get it be- right. Sometimes this shit takes fucking a year (laughs) and you're like, I don't even know if this shit's good anymore, but we've gone too far. We have to make it something. Yeah. Yeah. Songwriting is though is the different aspect to it that I think ultimately require. I mean, you you spend a lot of time refining the production. Yeah, the refining. But I think that's on this song particularly, I think the hook came pretty fast. I say, if you're serious, I'll give you, I'll give you the illusion of feeling love, which sounds really dark, but we were watching Rick and Morty and there's this cool video, um, so Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon is talking about, it's called The Search for Meeting, it's on YouTube, and he's, uh, he's like talking about like, you know, if nothing matters, you have this guy who's the smartest man in the world who like tries to kill himself all the time, and then you have Jerry who's 
Oh, sorry, you watch Rick and Morty? I've seen it, <laughs> but I, I, I don't have deep knowledge. <laughs> oh, he talks about Jerry, who's like the dumbest person on the show, who's the dad who like wants to be loved and wants to be cool and wants to be macho and masculine. It talks about like if nothing matters, everything, the way that you think about your life and the small moments and the illusion of like, let's go watch TV and I, I love my girlfriend and all these things are just small things that we can participate in that give the human condition meaning. <laughs> anyway so that's what I meant by that line <laughs> amazing and so you're in the booth you just happen to come up with that line you know if you're serious and then suddenly that unlocks a, a lyric for you and then you record it there and then I think we did record that there and then I think earlier on in the process though we were still using the booth you know we turned our like walk-in closet into a recording booth basically and then but yeah, over the good. course of the album, Drew came out of the booth and started doing all of his own vocal recording, which I actually think ultimately... That was a big step on, on, on this album was like, I stopped. I mean, are, we have an amazing engineer, Jordan, but like I just like like cutting my own vocals in the room like this. I would rather do this with a mic right here and literally record them, press start and stop. And if you watch me do it, it's chaotic. Like any engineer would throw up watching me the way I do it because it's so incorrect. And I'll, and I'll delete like good takes on accident. And like, it's really bad, but I eventually get it exactly how I want. Cause if, I don't know, it just feels more personal. I can say every word how I want it to be said. And so that's what this album's like full yeah. of. And is that mic connected straight into the laptop or is it through the desk? Or you know, Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I mean, I can use whatever. I can use a duet. I can use, we have a symphony at home and... Oh no, let's not get into gear. <laughs> I don't know anything about gear. I just know what I like. Like I'm the right. guy that goes to the store and tests every microphone and then like that's a one, but I don't know what it's called. Yeah, but you've chosen it all the same and you've totally, tested totally, it. So totally. you, you know, you've made yeah. that we did an interview. Decision. Yeah, we did an interview the other day and the guy was asking me questions and I was like, you just talk to Matt. Matt's our drummer who's the best and best drummer in the world also built our studios and he's a G, but he knows how my brain works and how I need it to work and he just makes sure that happens. But what we're using... I got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you've illustrated that song so well, you know, and so fluently. Clearly, that was a, a moment of inspiration where one thing led into another and everything was firing and everything yeah. was going really, really well. I wish I remember what song we were working on before this, but I felt like we both mutually decided it was like, we need to make a happy song. I think sometimes, like, subconsciously, you have to be like, it's time for a fun song, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or let's do our best to figure out what that would feel like. I right always now. still make it sad in some way. <laughs> and at what point um, did If You're Serious arrive? So, you know, you, if after three to four days after you declaring a hiatus, and, and was If You're Serious a, a year down the line? or I think it was like halfway through. If You're Serious, I think happened. Definitely wasn't Hawaii. It wasn't in Hawaii, but it was shortly thereafter, I feel like. Yeah, probably like June-ish, July. Sounds right to me. Which is great. I mean, that was kind of like one of those fun songs. I think we um, there weren't like a ton of songs that we did post Hawaii that made the album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so you got an awful lot done in in Hawaii then, like the foundations of yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, High and iPad are the only two records that are out right now, and we made them like last. Like they're like the connective tissue to all of this stuff that is funkier and cooler and more far out there. And we took chances that we've never been able to take, and so it's like weird to be back right now because we have these songs that we I'm a love high and I'm so proud of iPad iPad's one of my favorite songs but there's this whole other fucking thing we got that I'm like when well, our fans are going to eat up and we've never given them something like this and I'm, I'm really I can't wait for that moment you know yeah so we were working our way through the song and I know that it kind of changes doesn't it near the end and you kind of illustrated that a bit yeah so it goes then all that matters lives in your mind and the 
truth is up for you to define. I hope that you choose to remind. Oh, how cute is that? <laughs> Don't you want to marry that guy? Maybe, but I'm already, this is your I'm life. Already spoken so truth, all man. that matters lives in your mind. The truth is up for you to define. I hope that you choose to be my own. Oh. <laughs> how do you come up with those lines? Do you discuss the lines as well? I was just feeling cute as hell. And I just, <laughs> no, I don't know. I just kind of probably like just gibberished it and then it came out. <laughs> right. And now I'm, yeah, taking credit for it. But um, the cool part about this last drop, and so what's cool about using LFO tool on a group is you can just keep throwing shit in that group. That's my favorite thing to do now. It's a big thing that I love. And you can use LFO tool or you can use utility which is just essentially a gain switch and you can just draw the envelope curve and then copy and paste it which is actually i find a much easier way to automate um volume envelopes but in the end of this song this is all of lfo tool in here but we just started throwing crazy stuff in and so you know i kind of had this song to the, about the point that i showed you and ian kirkpatrick who we work with all the time is one of our best buds sometimes was like ian i just like need some sauce like i'm burnt out on this i don't know what it is and he'll go and he'll He'll just add like depth to my shit. So he added like just a silence that was going. And then he added this cool, I think it's this one. It just kind of has this like old school, like Daft Punky type sound. But all that is, is like we, so I basically I have an LFO tool going like, you know, by 16th notes, and then, like, I have it shut off, and another one turns on, and it goes by 36 notes, and I change the depth as it goes into each one, so it feels flowy, and it doesn't just go, like, I don't know, anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you can put anything in that group, and it will follow it and heighten things, so you get, you know, you'll have the first drop that's more, like, and then the second Can you imagine the lasers that are going to come on when we do that? <laughs> like, that's going to be so fun. So anyway, this is really fun to make because it feels like this, like, flowy, rocking, alternative rock song. And then it has this just, like, super trippy thing that's, I guess it's a drop, but is it? It's not that hard, but it will get you there. And I knew, I can't wait to see how it goes off at a festival. But song ain't out yet, so. I think it would be a, a great idea to... Um, Return to the master, but play that last section, the last kind of 30, 40 seconds or something. Sure. Uh, with all the things that are going on. Yeah. Because it sure. really does kind of rise and it is yeah. going to go I off. I think that's a big theme in this album too, is that kind of left turn ending finale that I think we kind of like became a signature thing over the years for us. But then closer, or don't lay down. Or... We always wanted the last drop to have like a, some kind of yeah. bigger than everything else. You but know? I, yeah. But I feel like in the past, we kind of, it was just like in line with the song, whereas like this album, some of them, really just kind of go whatever the hell they want yeah which is what we love yeah, yeah. keeps it interesting um, do you want to play the master yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah.
great. I'd love all the air drumming and air keyboard playing. Yeah. If you can't tell, we're really excited to play some of these songs. <laughs> yeah. We played like some show recently. I think it was the TikTok tailgate show. And high was out, but like everything else, we had to just play like kind of, I don't know, legacy songs, but our older music. And you're just kind of like inside, you're just like, I fucking, you know, you're just like, <laughs> this is great. And I'm glad everyone's having fun, but God damn it. You know, after three years of waiting to play music, you're yeah. still playing the old music and you're like, we have so much good stuff for y'all. Yeah, give, me, yeah. give us time. Stick with us. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's going to happen soon, which yeah. is excellent. Yeah, yeah. very um, soon. Right, well, we're going to take a little break, and the next song we're going to look at will be iPad. iPad. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. The next song we're going to look at from the Chainsmokers, So Far So Good, is iPad, which was the second single from the album. Before we start talking about that, I thought I'd ask you a bit about how you came together, because it's a kind of interesting thing as two musicians, mm -hmm. you know, because in some ways you're classed as DJs, but you're producers, you're musicians. So when you get that asked that question, so what do you do? And you say, I'm a DJ. That can mean so many different things yeah. to people. And so I find it intriguing to know that you're often described as DJs, because I don't think of you as DJs, I think of you as musicians. 100%. I feel like there's often like a level of confusion between, it doesn't matter your age or whatever, you know what I mean? I think people definitely have like assumptions about what a DJ is. And, you know, we obviously perform shows as DJs too, which is awesome and super fun. But I think, you know, somewhere along the way, I think there is like some translation lost about the fact that obviously producers, songwriters, singer, you know, I can only play piano, but he can play how many four instruments pretty well pretty well as a stretch but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you got together yeah. did you know that he had 
all these talents, Alex? No, I mean, I just thought he was good looking um, and <laughs> thought we would just go from there. I mean, it was actually, I mean, if you're going back to, you know, the 10-year mark of what it was, I was like a receptionist at an art gallery and he was graduating school at uh, Syracuse and had just finished an internship, I think, at Interscope. And I was like DJing by night at all these local clubs around New York, some better than others, some really, really bad. And, you know, I but think- you're a numbers guy. Yeah, we were a numbers guy. Not a face guy. Yeah, exactly. It was quantity over quality. <laughs> and uh, we didn't know each other at this time, but I was, you know, easily just as obsessed as he probably was with dance music. And I think for me, uh, you know, I just felt like I was becoming disenchanted with like the art world that I thought I was going to work in and just found I was just constantly being drawn back to music. And like, while at the time I wasn't producing at all, I was just, just a DJ. I think that I wanted more and ideally like find a way to create you know, a chain smoker sound. Luckily at the time I was introduced to Drew by a mutual friend. And that was kind of the trade-off. Like initially, like any good business partnership, it was like, great, you can make music, but you have no shows. I can't make music, but I have tons of shows. So let's get together and we'll teach each other. You know, DJing is a lot easier to learn than producing. <laughs> so I think it took Drew about 20 minutes to yeah, figure yeah, it he out. He taught me how to <laughs> DJ on CDJs. I literally 45 minutes before our first show. Yeah. And you did it, great. <laughs> and, and, and it was at Terminal 5 in New York City, which was, we opened for Time Flies. We were still good friends of ours for like 3,000 people. Yeah. And it's been a funny thing in our career. Every time something awesome happened, it's immediately followed by something super humbling. And devastating. So, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> devastating. And so we played for our first show for 3,000 people. We had like a 45-minute set, if that. Kids were going nuts. I was like, yes, I knew DJing was going to be awesome. We immediately go to this club, Whip, which... I don't you never remember this is like 10 years ago Drake and Chris Brown got in a fight and like threw bottles at each other it was all over Rihanna I guess or whatever and it happened like the night before and so no one was trying to go to that club so we just like <laughs> then after how, coming off this high we're in this club DJing for literally two people. I think I remember texting our manager there. being like, we're still going to get paid, right? Because there's literally <laughs> nobody here. And he's like, you're going to get paid. I was like, all right, well, I guess uh, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> This is life. Yeah. yeah. But what was cool, obviously, for me, specifically, obviously, beyond like now having someone that can help figure out what that chain smoker sound is, the fact that like I actually had no skill beyond like forming your own opinion and taste about what's good dance but music. You, and you've stuff. always had very good taste. And, but I think like that, th that part is what's been interesting is that like you kind of come in with like no experience. So like even for me, like speaking the language of music, you know, I didn't have any formal music theory training. So it's like funny trying to describe someone, you know, be like a scientist being like, put it in that weird glass, you know, the thing that's like, oh, a beaker, you know what I mean? And it's like <laughs> that sort of conversation was a lot of the first couple of years. But I think also the fact that like he would get so bogged down in the minutia of every song in detail, which is a good thing but then like you had me kind of like pull him out of it thinking maybe on a more macro sense or not letting him get stuck in you know drum fill world and then eventually we, we don't want to go there yeah don't <laughs> go to drum, world, don't drum world <laughs> <laughs> but it was like you know it was really fun in the beginning kind of working all day every day in each other's really shitty apartments in new york and you know those were like really fun days as like scary as it was also because you just had no idea but I think for us we always just measured our success in little small steps of progress before you know it you're somewhere completely different we didn't kind of get wrapped up in being like let's write the biggest hit in the world we were like this remix hustle is fun like we're building up fans and for the most part for the first few years would go play club shows and not play any of our music nobody's here to hear 
like chain smoker music and I think we played it a night. also sucked yeah yeah <laughs> but I think I remember playing a night at Marquee and afterwards some person approached us and was like I'm so upset like bummed out and we're like why the show was sick and they were like you didn't play any of your music and we're like you want to hear our music and they were like yeah that's why we came and I'm like are other people here that want to hear it and they were like yeah you know what I mean and I think like then we began to realize that like oh we can actually start playing our music and doing it in a clever way and we've always been really smart about how we like I think being a DJ teaches you those kind of things about like how you introduce a song that no one's heard before I mean you know you have to read a room and it's not just like about jamming down a musical journey in people's throats you gotta like lure them in with a song they know and then switch it to something they don't before they even realize it. And then you're back out of it to something that has like super high energy. So you kind of don't lose momentum. But yeah, that was a fun process getting to, you know, get started. And I, I can't imagine what our friends like thought. We didn't have time for anybody else. Like we were so focused, you know, back then. Yeah. Still are. Yeah, it's but. interesting. So I mean, that, that whole journey from kind of starting to remix other people, then switching into, you know, releasing your own tracks, sometimes with collaborations with other people and that led on further and further to, mm. you know, the stage you're at now is so yeah. far so good where you're creating an album's worth of material that is taking you in a different direction again, but multiple directions really when you listen to the whole record that you're super excited about sharing with your fans because they're going to be kind of surprised by what you're doing. It's interesting though, reintroducing yourselves in a way didn't you come back with a, a couple of remixes of other people? Yeah, that was the first remix that we did in probably eight years. I mean, mm. we like actually made a promise to ourselves that we were like, we're done with remixes. Like, yeah. we're not doing any more. We're only making original music, which at the time was like a pretty asinine thing to say to yourself because like we had never made an original song or put it out. So we had no reason to believe that like anyone would get behind it. But we were just like, we know what this remix path leads to, which is just kind of one of those guys who just builds a career off of other people's brands and stuff, which is totally fine to do. But we had such bigger aspirations for the Chainsmokers. And we knew that if we had like one foot in the remix game, we would never really give the attention we needed to figuring out what our like original sound was. So that ended up being like a very important decision back then. And now obviously it's evolved to like Drew singing on Closer for the first time to iPad is one of the songs on the album that's I think just us as producers and songwriters. That is a brilliant link into iPad, which yeah. is the next song we can look at. So uh, maybe we hear a blast of the master of iPad and then we can unravel it. Oh, I thought you never asked, my <laughs> G. <laughs> I go through your iPad looking for something that I used to have. Guess I finally lost my mind. Always said I could take my number back. Go back to the place we met. Start this up a second time. So that is iPad, as it sounds on the album. You mentioned that this song um, was almost created to kind of stitch all the other songs together in a way. I mean, yeah, it was the connective tissue. It felt like a song that f sounds like our album, but also people would be like, oh, that sounds like a Chainsmokers record. So I think that's probably the extent of that. But I love this song. It's super personal to me. You know, Alex and I wrote this song and 
it's triumphantly sad. It's kind of like what Chainsmokers is. <laughs> it's triumphantly <laughs> sad. Everything sounds happy, but when you listen, you're like, wait, damn. But this one, this song started where I, I remember just walking through the living room and Alex was playing these chords on the piano. And you were like trying to like leave the house. And I was like, before you leave, you need to give me fucking three chords. And the first chords he played were... And I remember just like putting some basic drum loop over it. It's such a simple just thing. And then I use pitch map. I love pitch map. You know what pitch map is? I don't know it. Pitch map's badass. Pitch map's why like uh, this company called Synaptic. And they make these like super dorky plugins, which are really awesome if you know how to use them right. Pitch map essentially can take any audio file and you can play MIDI and it can morph that audio file into the MIDI that you're playing. So I use it a lot for textures where it's just like being from the dance world. I think the stuff that turns me on the most is using electronic elements and having a backbone on that side, but using things that are like super organic. And I know that you spoke to Fred again, you know, Fred, you know, was talking about how much he uses his iPhone. And I always try to find like really weird, unconventional ways to just get sound that just makes it feel like it has a soul. And pitch maps are really fun because you can take these these audio files, whether they're loops, whether they're things you've recorded, and you can route your MIDI to pitch map and it makes whatever that audio is sound like play in the chords that you played. So and here I just I think I have it doing this, like I can't even remember what that loop was, but it's now doing whatever the chords that I played into it is. And that just gives it this kind of like. And you can hear it just kind of morphing behind it. And I don't know, that shit just like turns me on. Cause if not, then it's just like piano chords. And I'm also a notorious overproducer, so maybe don't take that advice. Um, <laughs> but it kind of almost creates an atmosphere. Totally. Um, it's like a, it's almost a room atmosphere somehow. 100%, exactly. But you, you said that Alex wanted to leave and <laughs> you wanted to stay and work. So you you kind of said to Alex, give me some chords. So Alex got to play that piano so bit. And then, then did you leave Alex and then leave him to it? I feel like I stuck around for a little bit. But I, I didn't end up writing it that day. I remember No, you going, took it home. Took it home. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. And I think you ended up shifting them up a little bit because I played them really straight yeah and then it was like kind of one of those things where I was like all right this sounds really actually pretty cool and happy and hopeful and chain smokery and then he came back the next day and was like I wrote the whole verse (laughs) and you're like great let's hear it and then you know and then you get to the hear the like the verses and the hook and you're like holy shit this is really fucking good um anyway I was going through some shit when um I wrote these lyrics and you know, I was like in this relationship that like I, I kind of knew I had to get out of it and all my friends wanted me to get out of it and had been wanting me to, but I didn't know how to do it and I still loved the person. And basically it was like, I can't talk to my friends about it because they don't want to hear about it and can't talk to the person about it because it's about them and I, and I don't know what I want. And so I had this weird cognitive dissonance of knowing that I should do this, but also knowing that I, I wanted this and this song was kind of like this cathartic experience therapy session for me. And I was sitting and I said, I go through your iPad looking for something that I used to wear. So, like whatever. And just kind of whispered it to myself. 
and just like the vulnerability out of that and just that that kooky line who starts a song with i go through your ipad yeah anyway that was enough that that line i go through your ipad looking for something that i used to have i guess i finally lost my mind was like such a kooky that's i feel like a lot of times like with Paris, we were staying in Paris to get away from your parents, and I thought, wow, I was like, what a weird way to start a song, or closer, hey, I was doing just fine before I met you. You know, you just say these weird things that you're like, that's a really cool base for a song. Like, I don't know where this story goes, but I like the feeling of that. And so that's how iPad started. And um, we also had this line, isn't it strange that we're strangers again, which we've just been in love with and been trying to put it in a song, and... Those are kind of the bookends is the iPad line and the strangers again line. And there's not much that happens. You have these chords, this drum loop that's consistent. It's like, you know, I put an EQ3 on it, muted the high and the low from it, just kind of chugs along in like kind of like a Dr. Luke way. But the beat does kick in. No, it yeah, does then, change. I think we argued a lot. I think maybe argue is the wrong word, but we like had a lot of indecision around the drop and the lead and the totally. drop. We knew the guitar was amazing, but we're like, how big a role do we want it to play? And I think we're always, like Drew said, like, you know, you're thinking like, is this enough? You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell. And it's just like, I think lyrically we knew that this was so special. So you're like, maybe we don't need to lean on this so much. You know, and it's like tough when you have those songs because you're also like making it isolated in COVID, basically alone with these, you know, the same group of people for a while. So you're like, I really want this to be like the summer big festival energy, but not, not overcomplicate it and lose the like meaning of the song over producing it. And so, you know, I think we ended up finding like a really good balance for it, but that was probably the biggest challenge was just the arrangement. You mentioned the guitar. Like the, yeah. Yeah. when did that come in? Production wise, that was after what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we just added that clap because we just wanted the whole song. It's like a song like Being Born. It's like a sun rising. You know, if you really listen to it, it's just like kind of. How that you, you forked that pitch max ship I was telling you about. Yeah. And then you, you got a clap and the guitar. I also love these things. I think that's where are they? There's one other cool sound in here. And that was also, cool. the bridge is like the full hook that we thought was going to be there. And, you know, we ended up removing like it and making it the bridge instead. But that was like a very tough decision also at the time because you were like, the bridge is beautiful to me. And you're like, this says everything that you want. You know, oh, yeah, the, the hook was supposed to be, isn't it strange? I was strangers again. Now both of us know we were better as friends and win it all. And we thought it was great. But like, there's so many words in the verse. Yeah. That were just like, it just needs to be, isn't it strange? I was strangers again. And then we'll, we'll deal with that part later. So that ended up becoming the bridge. And we just wanted this to feel like summertime euphoria. You got over a breakup thing. You're just trying to be single for the summer and feel fucked. <laughs> like, just nice euphoria. So maybe we should go to the bridge if the bridge was going to be the chorus. So yeah, we'll go to the bridge. Something 
And that voice, that other voice, is that you, Drew? So that's me, yeah. Right. So that was the other thing I was going to show. That's an epic part of the song, too. It sends. So I put trash with distortion on it, pitch it up, alter boy it, and just make it this other weird thing, and it sits somewhere else on the speaker. Classic horns. Also my voice. And turn into a gas like kerosene. Love that felt like seventh. Hurt me till I feel alive. Because when I hear that second voice, I think it could be the other person involved in this story. So, and that's great. It reminds me so daft funk. It's like so daft funk to me. In like a different disco-y type context. And like that's you know, all it is is my voice pitched up. I think I left it in beats mode where I took the formants way down in the clip and then I put Alter Boy on it and I put Isotope Trash on it. And Trash has a setting called Convolve that has all these really cool presets that kind of like just throw the sound into different parts of your speaker. And so I use that on a lot of pianos and like I got to use it on my voice for here. Yeah, it works such a treat because it, because this story takes on a life of its own. It could be, oh, there's, there's another side to this story. Do right, they, exactly. Do they want to be strangers too? They, right. Maybe, do they feel the same way? Maybe. Yeah, it just reminded me of like that I don't know. Just like it just made me feel super nostalgic about like when I started like loving dance music. Just that kind of weird chipmunky, but kind of is it a robot type of yeah. I don't know comfort. It just felt nice, and it pokes out of the speaker in a weird way. You know, found its own space like a synth. Yeah, it's interesting. You were saying earlier that you don't know what things are and all this kind of stuff, but you know what all these plugins what they do. And, yeah, you know what they do. <laughs> and you know which one it is that yeah. does that. And you know that you want to use it and try and... I think software, he's all on top of. It's right. the hardware. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, it's funny. I mean, the history, our evolution of Chainsmoker Studio production was like literally laptop with, you know, a keyboard. And that was it. And then eventually, I think we saved up and bought like a Neumann or something was our first mic or... You know, something mm -hmm. so we could record into... No, it's a Telefunken. And that's then, a good mic. That's a bright mic, but yeah. really good. And then you kind of like, and they'll finally, you have a label, and they're like, you could start using, you know, real studios. You go to them, you realize that they don't actually have any equipment. They have nothing. In them. And then the like realization is like, great, we got to build our own studio. But And you do, and you build this incredible studio, but you're kind of still like a like a creature of habit, you know what I mean? Where like, I think in this album was like our first time kind of venturing out into all these different synths and bass keyboards and, Even you know. my voice, like my voice sounds completely different on this album because I got, I had, you know, months and months and months to like spend on just like building vocal chains and being like, I like when my voice, oh, and when I put this on, I don't sing like this, I sing like this. And you got this new vocal tone out of it and that experimentation has been really... I mean, it's, we have a whole new sound on our album because of it. Yeah. The gift of time, for whatever reasons, you know, the, the fact that you decided, right, let's stop and take a breath yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And then obviously the pandemic came in and added yeah. more time to that. Yeah. I mean, the um, last thing you're thinking of when you use, I mean, we used to have like one day to write something is like, let me go experiment with this like synth in the corner that has like a thousand to 10,000 different presets. You know, you're thinking like, let me just do what, you know, I know is going to get the job done. But I think this time around it was like fun. And obviously Ian is a, 
wizard if you haven't seen is ian's tutorials online of him working on songs we've learned so much from ian kirkpatrick and, and weedy yeah and they're such opposite producers like working with them too on this album was so fun because me and ian would make some like really technical nerdy shit that like everyone would be like oh, fuck, they make that and then i'm like all right weedy let's go in and then weedy would go in and it would just like slap and Ian's like, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. And it's like, no, nah, this is why he's sick. <laughs> and I mean, they have a ton of respect for each other, but it was just a really fun thing to be in the middle of and just like soak us, soak up the best things from everybody and try to interpret it yourself and make some just bomb ass records that are like, you know, if you're a producer and you're a sonic enthusiast and you want to hear complex things and think about how they were made, there's that. And then if you just want to hear stuff slap, it still does that too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's great. So how should we round up this song before we move on? So is there anything else that we need to hear or just should we just hear the way it, it Yeah, climaxes? I think, yeah. I don't know. What part should I play it from? Maybe the bridge into the hook? Yeah. Yeah. That's a Juno too, right? Yeah. Also Juno, yeah. That helps a lot with that drop. Mm -hmm. The Juno just so warm. So that was the bridge that was going to be the hook. Yeah. And now I'm kind of talking to my robot voice, which is cool too. <laughs> So like that's such a triumph in the classic chain smokers and to one of our songs and yeah we wrote the horn parts on midi and then we're like this sounds so fucking midi like let's get these done properly and we did that a bunch on other albums we wrote a lot of orchestral parts and then had people play them and it just made everything so much better yeah I want to live in the world of iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. We're going to take a break now, and the next song we're going to look at is I Love You. I love you. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the next song we're going to look at from So Far So Good by the Chainsmokers is I Love You. I love and you. before we get into expressing our deep felt admiration <laughs> and, and love and adoration, uh, let's hear a blast of the master. All right. Oh my god. 
Oh, so I, that, I love this song so much. <laughs> so that is I Love You. One of the great things about interviewing today is that we're catching you at that right moment before the album comes yeah, out. Yeah, we're not jaded you're, by you're it. You're not jaded. It's still you're our super music. I always say that like, every song belongs to you until the second it comes out and then it belongs to everybody else. So, this and still so now you're getting you. it in that yeah. sweet spot where we still... <laughs> iPad is out, but I still love it. So where do we start with I Love You? So I Love You starts with... When this song was made, and this is a song that was made very quickly, and as soon as we made it, I don't think I listened to another song for probably six weeks. I'm not saying like this song is like the best song ever or whatever, but like this was something that I was like, exactly what I want to hear. Everything I put on, like I was like, oh, I could be listening to I Love You right now. So, <laughs> and that's like, and this album in general, like we made the stuff that like I want to hear. You know, I want music to sound like the stuff we made, which is, I mean, not the most humble thing to say, but as an artist, it's like, isn't that how you want to feel? You but know, isn't, like, isn't that why musicians create? You know, they're not I've hearing never, the sounds never, that they want to hear. To- absolutely, I've never felt like we've achieved that, at least for me personally. And this, it's what I want. Sounds like all the genres I loved growing up. It has these melodies that I love. It has stories that I like. I mean. So how did you start? I mean, do you do demos? I mean, do you, you know, I know we've talked about process and stuff, but often some people come in and they've got, oh, well, I did this demo. I was, you know, and they record it on their phone I feel and like they play that. I feel like most of the song you just did one night when you were hammered at home or something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you came back the next day and were like, check this out. And it was like, oh, Damn. And I think there was like filling out some lyrics on the first verse and second verse, but I definitely think like the melody. I do be- remember playing you the, ooh, I love you. And you were like, what's this? Yeah, yeah. And if I get him to go, what's this? That's when I know I got something. Yeah. And the truth is these drums are actually drums that we, myself and Ian Kirkpatrick made. I did my part in them, but he took them to another fucking level. And we made them for this song called Cyanide, which is the last song on our album. These drums turned me on so much. I was like, they can't just be on Cyanide. <laughs> and Cyanide is like, it's an amazing song. But like, I was like, these are banger drums. But like, little just cool crash. That's. A good like downbeat on the fucking one gets you every time. The majority of it's here. Just really, really gets me going. Little kick to help the whole thing along. And then these toms, I believe. This is the original loop that we started with. And then. But see how the kick sucks in that one? But what? But like there, it's so like lush and full, but too super muted. So you you recognize that if you listen to the beginning of Cyanide, and then you have these like these kicks that we added just to kind of help. And then we added this toms. That sounds like a Phil Collins moment. Right? Yeah. It does. And then you just get them together. And <laughs> so that's how the drums come in. Hear how quiet the back feeling on that hi-hat? 
And now I'm kind of getting a Janet Jackson yeah. feel. With Rhythm there. Nation. Yeah. I would yeah. just listen to these drums all day. Like This is what happens when this. we do take notes. You start playing these individual parts, and I'm thinking, but I could listen to this for hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they should just do an instrumental album or just what, a drum when album. When this, that Tom feel that comes in, does it? so simple and then it's very simple lines when they that part like you, the complexity where it goes like and then just that might be one of the coolest drum beat like all those patterns working together like that is I mean I grew up playing the drums since I was five years old when I heard that I was like we need a banger for these fucking drums and I got really drunk like I usually do. <laughs> and um, went down to the basement and played the chords that I play the most and inverted them a lot and, and played very closer. Over those. So what you're saying is that you'd written cyanide already. Yeah. You had these drums, and then you reconfigured the drums. And I was like, I'm bringing the drums into a different yeah. session, and I don't know what I'm going to fucking play over them, and I played these chords over them. Right. And, I, and then I got to this part, which I went, ooh, and I was like, ooh, after that, and I had the... It reminds me of some like 2000s type of, I don't even know what it is, but it just, every time I hear it, it just feels familiar. I can't place it at all. Familiar, but new. Then Alex is like, yo, I don't know why you came up with this, but it's a genius idea. He's like, let's put this like anime sample. Well, the- I felt like when you hear the without at this part, like his verse kind of like comes in like really hot. I was just like, what if it was something like weird in the beginning that just kind of like caught you off guard? that like grabbed your attention, but then launched you into this like song that, you know, feels awesome. And, you know, I'm not like a, I lo- watch anime, but I'm not like a huge, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what I'm looking at. So like, Death Note and Spirited Away. Yeah, Kira and yeah. all, you know, different shows. But I, in my head, I heard the like kind of anime girl of like, you know, that like high pitch voice. So then Matt and I, while Drew's like working on a song are just like Googling like free samples, you know, for like- Wasn't it, free, by the it way. It wasn't free. <laughs> and we found, I think, might have been Matt found the actual sample and we were just like, that's fucking sick. And he sent it to me and I was like, why the fuck are we doing this? And I put it in and I was like, this is the most fire start to a song. <laughs> yeah. ever. It is so random just. You are right though, because that is such a surprise when you're listening to the album and, yeah. and it doesn't connect <laughs> with it. It just like randomly starts yeah. like yeah. that and it's cool and. It's funny, too, because I guess what they're saying, it's something like, go Gadget, go, like that sort of the spirit of it, which is awesome because it's like exactly how you feel like the song starts. And then the funny part was when we realized we still had to clear it. Adam's amazing. Our manager goes to war and finds everything. But I think in this one, he was just like, what the hell do you expect me to do? Like, 
there's no info on this online where you got it. Like, you know, good luck. And our lawyer, who's like, went to college with Drew and is one of, you know, our best friends, was like, I'm going to fucking figure this out. Because this is my favorite part of the album. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, this is too good. Yeah, and he figured it out. And it's like from this like old video game. And And it's, it's from an anime series. But they're like rebringing it back now in spirit of the song and doing like a whole promo in Japan around it's it. Wild. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Which is just, you know hysterical. And I mean, anyways, I mean, you could speak to like the yeah, melody of the like, verse. So I'm drunk, and the, well, the anime sample came later, but yeah. then I'm drunk in my basement, being like. In the rage outside, and I'm thinking about loose ends. Even though we got ties, I don't wanna be just friends. From the day I got your number, like Paris in the summer, it ends. Every day goes by, I wish I was in your bed. Hear that talking there? Yeah. That was at the studio, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what we were talking. I had a gibberish version of this, and so I'm cutting it, and that's my business manager, Josh, talking, because I'm literally doing this, cutting vocals in my room. No, no, this is the studio. Yeah, in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is after, like, the concept's written, and I'm like, I'm just cutting it and trying to get the words right. And I have like four people behind me having a, like a racket of a conversation, but there's something about that like I just really fucking love, and that's kind of we're talking about Fred again, where he just like uses all these imperfections, like here. Yeah, whatever that is. That, there's a kind of humanity to it, you know. Yeah, he was trying, maybe he's doing a deal. Yeah, I don't know. We can maybe undercover someone's uh, <laughs> one of his other clients. Could that be finances. incriminating? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'll turn up in the trial. <laughs> I feel like you're always uncomfortable because I mean, I, sometimes you're sitting there for like three hours while he's cutting vocals, and you're just like, "Am I expected to just literally be silent back here?" <laughs> but also at the same time, I think he likes when there's energy behind him. Hundred percent. So you're kind of like have to find that balance when to shut up and when to be having your own body. And I love when there's people in the room because it feels like I'm performing, you know? And I like, I have to come up with something. I can't overthink anything too much. It's just like, whatever, these people are here, they're trying to have a fun time, they're watching something, like, so we just left it in. And what's interesting too is like the, obviously the Range Rover lyric is a nod to Closer, the Paris lyric is a nod to Paris. Those so, are good lines. Yeah, I mean, a great the range line. outside and I'm thinking about loose ends, even though we cut ties. Loose ends, get it, does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they're funny, they're almost just like freestyle type lyrics and they ended up like being lyrics in some of our favorite songs on this album, you know? And then also, I don't think I initially caught this, but like fairly soon after we were like, this is the bartender melody from T-Pain. In the range outside and I'm thinking about loose ends is walk up to a girl and I... It's literally the exact bartender melody and it's in the same key. <laughs> and we're like, fuck, fuck, I just totally... Which is cool <laughs> because it gives that familiarity where people are like, oh, fuck, I've heard this before. Obviously, that's a legal nightmare, but we hit T-Pain and I was like, yo, we made this song. Like, we're going to give you publishing. Like, what's good? And he was so fucking cool about it. He was just like... This song's lit. (laughs) Like we gave him publishing and like whatever, but like it's so nice. It was such a nice way for that to go down because there's so there's only so many combinations of music that you can make and mix things together. And now people are being. I was really happy to see that Ed Sheeran Mm -hmm. won his lawsuit. He's an incredible songwriter and just this whole like chasing people. It's just theft, you know. And I was really excited to see him win. But like people are like winning lawsuits over likeness, you know. I hear people that have copied us, we've copied other people, just like, no, it's not purposefully, it just like happens, we're inspired, and that's what music is, we're here to make stuff that make people feel good, and it's really upsetting when, no one's trying to like get one over on someone and steal their stuff, but like, 
It's fucking art, and we're here to have a good time, make it. It's music. It's the most pure form of art. Everyone can feel it, you know, and it's just unfortunate when people try to be like, oh, well, I did this first. Well, maybe you did something like it. Maybe you inspired me, but you didn't, so. But I feel like it's funny because inevitably you do it. You're not thinking about it at all, and then you're like, oh, shit. This will be a problem, if, you know what I mean, if you yeah. don't. But then you're kind of like have to decide creatively. You're like, do we change it? And you're like, but it's fucking awesome. It's there for a reason. You know, and then you kind of just like, all right, let's, you know, I mean, he's always seemed like a great guy. I've seen thousands of interviews of his. He seems like the fucking dopest dude on the planet. And, you know, kudos to him for just responding exactly how you want an art, amazing artist to respond, which is like, fuck yeah, I love this song. You know what I mean? And like, just take care of me in a yeah. fair way, which is totally reasonable and let's put this bad boy out and have some fun. And so, it, you know, that was like one of those good experiences with yeah. the song. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah. But going back to what you were saying, Drew, you know, songwriters often say, but I just draw it from the ether. Mm-hmm. You no, know, so these melodies, these tunes are just out there floating around us and, and it just happens to be your chance and your moment when you kind of pluck them back and, and use them. Absolutely. I mean, that's like the most fun. Well, that's what we're all doing, I think. You know, let's just get on the same page about that. We're all just trying to make music that people feel something to. That's all we're doing here. It's not rocket science. It's just, yeah, the music industry. Don't what get a- me started. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we need to listen to from I Love You that you want to highlight for us? I mean, I love the bridge. The end was tough for us on this one, I think. because Yeah, we- Ian came in. Sometimes I'm just like, we have the whole song done, Alex and I, and I'm like, Ian, I just fucking need you. And Ian would just like unlock. He's like a therapist. He's like, well, why don't you just do this? And then it's like, oh, okay. Also, I love that this song just says, I love you, so clear, and it's not like, we all talk about love, but this one just says, I love you, oh God, why can't we work this out, you know, I love that. Yeah, it's great the way that lyrically you get direct there, you know, when with a lot of the rest of the songs on the album, you're trying to work things out all the time. Yeah, yeah. Here, here you've got some kind of clarity. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's what our music has always been. It's just kind of directly to the point. I always get a kick out when you watch someone, like a music theory expert on YouTube, breaking down <laughs> your song, and you're just like, you're not wrong about, you know what I mean? Like the chords are playing or whatever, like the fifth and seventh, you know, whatever. But then you're just kind of like, but we weren't thinking about that. We were just feeling for an emotion. Totally. You know? Yeah. But then you hit the right chords and they elicit that emotion and you know you've, exactly. you've hit upon it. Well, that's, that's music, you know? Yeah. As a new piano player, it's funny because like I've never taken any theory classes. So like when I'm playing around, it's like 99% of it all sounds like dog shit, but then you find one thing and then you leads to another thing. And then and then you're like, I'll have my you know, parent teacher come and be like, oh, I was messing around this last night. And he's like, this makes absolutely no sense, but it sounds really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just like, you know, I'm not like thinking like, oh, one to four to six to three to one, you know? And it's like... I mean, we've seen a lot of very classically trained musicians have a hard time writing, I don't want to say good songs, but the songs that people are like, oh, I feel something like that. Because it's so, to write a simple song, it's boring to them. You know, they have to do something. They have to put their pinky down on the piano. You know what I mean? Like, they have to, like, do some savant shit. And the reality is, like, music is a form of expression, a form of communication, and some people can't relate to that. Tricky anyway. business. It's such a fine line between that kind of moment of inspiration and expression 
and over analyzing it all and For getting sure. too lost in it. But I think maybe that's one of the reasons why it works with the chain smokers because you come from that DJ perspective and it's about communicating and you also it sounds like you approach your music like you've got an end to it. You want it to do something. You want it to achieve yeah, something, yeah. A, a connection and a reaction from I your audience. I think in this album more than ever, we know what that sound is that we do. You tune into the Chainsmokers channel for that. And we've like leaned super far into it. And um, I, I think and hope elevated it to a level that I think, you know, is going to be very exciting for people to hear. Before we let you go, we like to ask everybody who comes on Tape Notes a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. But to round off, I love you. Another blast of the master, I think would be nice. Mm -hmm. And we can also know what you, Drew, enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a real pleasure. So that is I Love You by The Chainsmokers. And before I let The Chainsmokers go, we've got to ask the questions we ask everybody. The first one is about a piece of equipment, a tech question, favourite instrument, you know, something you can't live without or something The Chainsmokers can't live without. I mean, maybe we should start with you, Alex, if you're yeah. able to go. Well, besides tequila, uh, <laughs> which is an amazing instrument. I don't know. For me, I mean, I just have a you know nice Yamaha baby grand in my house that I love playing on. I think that's probably my... Well, that's also one of the cool things is now we have, you know, we have a Mason Hamlin at the studio and, you know, you play on all sorts of different electric keyboards from like Nords to Pioneers and, you know, the feeling that you get from each one is so unique in the sound, which is something I like, you know, before obviously not playing didn't appreciate as much. And that's just been, you know, this one's my baby. And it's funny how you kind of, it's like, you know, you see guitar players being like, this is my guitar that I like play most on. It's not my best guitar, but it's like mine. And I feel like that's how I feel when I play, you know, at home on my baby grand versus, I mean, he has a great Steinway too. And it's like, feels like a totally different instrument when you play it. So yeah, that's mine. Drew, what about you? I can't choose auto-tune, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Not really. Uh, No, I'd say probably, I always just change plugins like every three weeks. But I would say, honestly, right, right now, if... If I had to only keep one synth, I would keep Analog Lab. It's just like the most basic version of all the Archeria plugins, but it just has everything I need right when I need it, and it's all there, and the sounds sound really good, and they have a lot of, they've done a really good job taking Analog synths and, like, you know, converting them to VSTs, and a lot of their best sounds are sampled in that plugin. I have all the other Archeria plugins, but I think, like, that's just, for workflow, is just such a great one. I love pitch map too. Pitch map's like magical. I would say there's one sound in um Diva. Diva's like main in it synth is just so soft and warm. They've done a really good making like a software really warm analog sounding uh sound. I mean output makes so many crazy like exhale and rev and all and signal and stuff, right? They've done a really good job at just like kinda 
I've done so much with their sounds and isotope trash. Like I use isotope trash in the weirdest fucking way. I wish people, I could, we could do like a tutorial on how Drew uses trash and people would be like, that's not how you're supposed to use trash. <laughs> but like it really like can color a lot of things. But I could go on forever, but yeah. those, those are some of my favorites. That <laughs> We're I, that just I trying to get some free to. software. <laughs> yeah. No, to, no, no, they, the, they've been hooking me up. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the other question we always ask people is about advice, whether you have received advice from somebody along the way or whether you've learned some lessons that you'd like to pass on. <sighs> That's a tough question because we have gotten a lot of good advice, a lot of bad advice. Yeah, beware of bad advice. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the best advice I can give you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that's been cool for us to see is obviously like when you become like a known band and obviously to me it's like if you can find our email like and send us music, I'll always listen to it and give some level of feedback. But I've like developed low-key relationships with maybe like 15 to 20 producers that like, you know, probably in the beginning honestly were not good at all but it's been like really cool to hear their sound develop and then of course see their like opportunities begin to change and get into the music space and i guess it just what i'm trying to say is that it's just you know that everyone's path in music is is very different you know some are destined to become session producers some are destined to become composers for tv and film or do you know sounds for commercials or whatever i don't think there's like a right or wrong path and it leads to everyone different places but i think you just have to literally relentlessly work on it and never give up and it's okay to may even be derivative in the beginning because i think you can learn a lot by trying to like emulate people you admire but inevitably you kind of have to break out from that and take risks and just keep going down that path and i think like you'll never know when you'll have that aha moment but there's not like a hack i always like tell people like we always talk about all these things we did from a marketing perspective that definitely helped us grow and, you know, we're clever about building a community around our music, but like if the music sucked, it wouldn't have, none of it would have mattered. So you just got to actually have good music. And if you're not like a really well-known, people aren't really listening to your stuff. It's like, it's just, it's probably not that good <laughs> <laughs> yet though. You know what I mean? And that's my point is that you shouldn't give up on it ever. And it's just like, that's, but again, like, I think people always are like, how do I get to there and you're like it's just for every good song you hear of us there's a plenty of not as good ones so yeah your answer to them too is you like do you really want to do this because a lot of it sucks yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if you get there it's the best thing ever yeah right? and really. you'll make things too that you think are fucking the best songs on the planet that other people just don't share the same opinion of and you have to just be like whatever like believe that it, you know it is the best and eventually people will start to recognize it and i think that's what i was saying earlier about like small progress being important is because it's like if you put out a song and only three people listen to it, but the next time six people listen to it, like that's good progress. You know, you just grew your fan base by 100%. So just kind of keep looking at it from that angle and you'll end up with like a really dedicated group of listeners that are, are down to buy your merch, down to buy tickets to your shows, down to subscribe to your this. And I think that's something we, I wish we put more importance on, you know, when we had our crazy moment in 2016 or 17, whenever it was, because, you know, those are the people that will support you to the, you know, bitter end. Drew, do you, are you going to just stick to the, avoid the bad advice? Mm -hmm. Don't need the bad advice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's one thing that, you know, as we've been asked that question in the past, there was an answer that Alex used to give all the time about some guy you said to, you, you were going through oh, some yeah. breakup thing. <laughs> be cool, yeah. And he just told you to be cool. <laughs> and it's such a simple thing, but... It can be like such a North Star, especially like if you're doing something and you're trying to navigate, you know, you have all these opportunities and 
you're trying to figure out like how to be, what to choose and whatever. But if you can just remember to just be cool and let that be your, like, is this cool? Is this good? Is this kind? You know, like asking yourself that really simple question is like very helpful. And there's a lot of times where we didn't ask ourselves that question. We did a bunch of shit that was whack. And I wish at that moment we had, we had just had the confidence to be like, wait, no, this isn't cool. We're not going to do it. That's great advice. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Yeah, and thank you. What time is it? Like, is it like yeah. the next day? <laughs> <laughs> um, we should play out with another piece of music from the new album, um, which is actually the opening song. Yes. Uh, Riptide, which yes. I think is a nice example of another dimension of the Chainsmokers and the new record. Gotta keep them guessing. Yeah, it's true. Thank you so much, Drew, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for, for having us. For giving us your time and, awesome. and letting us into your world and your creativity. Fantastic. 100%. And the song we're going to play out with is Riptide. Riptide. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Just know that I saw you Late night, zip ties, make you